Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast and this incredible series featuring women with inspiring voices. This series has stretched and grown my thinking, built in me a larger capacity for understanding various challenges leaders face in our society, and brought some of the most compelling stories and courageous women into my life. I am deeply honored to have shared them with this community, and I know you are loving these voices too. Today's guest is special. We have never met. This conversation was our first, yet she and I both noted after the interview how connected we felt. I am so thrilled for you to meet her today. Connie Reddick is a native of Dallas, Texas, working as an assistant principal in Andover, Kansas, a suburb of Wichita. She has over 13 years of educational experience as a former science teacher and instructional coach. She has worked in urban and suburban school districts in both Texas and Kansas. Connie plans to pursue a doctorate degree in educational leadership and is currently working on her district leadership license through Wichita State University. Connie is married to her college sweetheart, Brandon, and together they have three children, BJ, who's 15, Brianna, who's 11, and Lily is two. During this interview, we learned so many wonderful ways that Connie lives a life steeped in deep purpose. From her experiences in leading in the church where her husband is a pastor to overcoming significant health challenges with a recent battle with cancer, Connie's inspiring voice shines through. We discuss how her voice has shifted and grown over the years, and we hear her wisdom around striving to become better and a positive model through adversity. I am deeply in awe of this woman, and it is with great joy that I share Connie Reddick's courageous, humble, and wise voice. Welcome, Connie Reddick, to the In Awe Podcast. I am deeply honored that you would make space to have this conversation, and I cannot wait to introduce you to the listeners of the In Awe Podcast. It is my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, Connie. So... I read about you a little bit in the bio, so listeners have a quick snapshot of you, but would you just go ahead and kind of share with us from your lens about your current context, and this could be anything, you know, it's kind of a long question if you get too far into it in regard to where we are now with COVID, but just kind of wanting to get to know you as a person a little bit better. Of course. I um, have always been in education since I graduated from college, um, and I'm married to a pastor. We moved to Wichita a few years ago to start an intentionally multi-ethnic church um, before then when we were living in, living in Dallas. Um, I also am a recent cancer survivor, so I hear people talk about the year 2020 with COVID, uh, but the school year for me started with cancer, and then I transitioned to COVID second semester. So I'd really just like a, just a recent start of the entire school year if it's possible. Oh my goodness. So there's a lot to pick apart there. You Can we just go back to first, I want to get to the cancer and COVID. My <laughs> goodness, what a year. It has been. Um, and how many years have you been in education? So this is year 13 that I just finished. I was 10 years as a teacher, instructional coach, and then I took a year off to do some studying and then two years as an assistant principal now. Okay. And so into your second year, you were faced with this very personal challenge. Yeah. That's nuts. You know, this year is hard enough. I, I would think like the second year of any particular role is kind of a challenge and you get into that third year and it feels like the sweet spot. But as we were talking in the pre-chat, like <laughs> there's no cycle of school right now. Like this is just the weirdest no. time ever. <laughs> no, it really is. 
Uh, so would you just be willing to share, you said you're a cancer survivor. Um, is there anything that would help us to understand a little bit more about that? Um, what that struggle was like for you, what kind of cancer and what, you know, kind of where you're at in that journey? Of course. So it was a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it was really odd because my very first year that I had become an assistant principal, I was just started having pain, coughing and sneezing um, just during and I have seasonal allergies and during football games and events in the fall. And what I noticed as the year progressed is that I was feeling like my neck wasn't, you know, very symmetrous anymore and I could just feel a little lump. And so finally the summer before starting my second year of school, I just went to the doctor just for my regular check. And my husband says, you should just mention your neck is kind of, I think it looks odd. I didn't notice anything, but my husband is very um, observant. And so I mentioned to the doctor and long story short, we get to that there was a tumor growing in my chest. So I had all these bright ideas about how I was going to just have a phenomenal second year and just really just kill it because, you know, I didn't have so many learning uh, things that I had to figure out anymore from a first year. And then I was uh, hit with that news over the summers. Actually, I learned on my husband's birthday in July that summer. So I started the school year and everyone was so very kind about that, um, just having it and we'll do whatever we can, you know, to support you. And initially I was supposed to have one day of chemo. Um, and then the doctor had sent my results to the Mayo Clinic and found out that I had some genetic markers that were showing multiple proteins, he was saying, that were expressing the cancer. So it went to needing one day of chemotherapy um, every three weeks to five days of chemotherapy every three mm-hmm. weeks. So I had one day where I would go to chemo the entire Monday. And then the rest of the days, it was something new, like outpatient chemo, where I would take a bag of the drugs home. It was connected to a port and I'd return the next day for them to refill the drugs. And I did that for almost the entire uh, last semester of fall uh, 2019. My last chemo treatment was the week before Thanksgiving. So now we are, I'm proud to say, on the other stretch of it to where I've had a PET scan that shows absolutely no signs of cancer. And I have a follow up in a month to make sure that we're still in the same place. But that was just a lot of news, a huge whirlwind over the summer that I wasn't expecting. Well, and this is just so fresh. So I, I really thank you for sharing this um, because it's a... It's a thing. <laughs> it's yeah. a, I mean, this is yeah. huge. And so I just want to thank you. And before we get you know, too far into this, I wanted to let the listeners know that Connie, you and I are connected by a mutual friend. And it's just kind of interesting <laughs> to hear this directly from you. Um, Kristen, well, used to be Coolman, who's now Craft, was on the In Awe podcast. Yeah. And so that's our mutual connection. And, and um, you know, just knowing how much she respects and and cares and appreciates having you working with her. It's just hearing this challenge yeah. from your lens and um, what that would mean for your leadership in your home and in work and in your life. I mean, I just want to thank you for being that steady, strong voice and sharing this because that's real. Super real. I appreciate it. Probably anything I would definitely have your listeners know is, is if there is something that you notice that's off, I cannot encourage you enough to just get it checked. Um, You know, we know our bodies and I'm in my mid thirties. So I was feeling, yeah, I'm relatively young, but I'd say more than anything, if there's something that is different or off about your body, just go to the doctor. It's worth it. Well, yes. And so thank you for sharing that. And we have you, you know, featured here on the series on voices and I just couldn't be more excited and I can feel it knowing that there is 
is such, there's already such great mission in your message. I can, I know that but we have you here because, <laughs> and we were talking in the pre-chat it's so fun because Kristen had reached out and said, look, I think you need to talk to Connie. And she just was like, you just got to do this. And I'm like, okay, I would love to. And so <laughs> when we were trying to decide where to feature you, it's just nice because you said that over time, your voice has grown and you've learned to use it in a transparent way. And what a perfect opportunity um, to us to see that on vivid display with what you just shared with this challenge that's still very fresh and personal, um, but that you can give us that tip about, you know, making sure to check in. But is there, you know, I, I would say too, you know, cancer, I've had so many wonderful people in my life that have experienced that journey. And it's like this big C, capital C. Is there anything that you would say from those who maybe have not experienced it, but um, might benefit from an empathetic lens from somebody who's gone through a diagnosis and treatment and is kind of on the other end in terms of the things that maybe you would wish people would know to say or not to say or know to do or not to do. Right, right. I definitely think that, um, you know, when people hear that you have cancer, there's always different approaches. It is okay to ask a cancer patient how they're doing. Um, for me, every time I saw someone in the school, teachers and students, they always led with how are you doing? And, you know, some would say, I know this is overwhelming and you're probably getting asked that a lot, but I was okay with being seen. I was okay with being thought about. I was okay with normalizing, you know, going bald and wearing head wraps and attempting to work in spite of having that. And so I definitely think accepting people caring um, is a big thing. Um, you know, my husband and I had a lesson learned because he is an extremely proud man that doesn't like to ask for help. But that was a time where uh, the cooker in chief, if you will, or the chef, I was down for the count. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to reach out for meals and he got okay with saying, I'm okay with a meal train that helped me feed um, these children because I, you know, we, uh, mom can't necessarily do that. Um, so I think being able to ask for help and, and being able to be vulnerable were probably some biggest things. I was coming to school on a walker, you know, in my mid thirties, uh, just really just in pain and super swollen from steroids. Um, but I realized that I got so many notes from students after the fact that were saying that that was just a sign for them to keep going. And that was just really so encouraging for me. What a model. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, a, I'm just, I'm really in awe of you, Connie and your journey is nowhere, you know, it's not done. And, um, and I can yeah. tell that you are meant to share this message, not just here, but the influence that you have in your sphere is strong and beautiful. And so I'm so glad that you would join me and share that today. I wanted to, you know, also just get back to another thing that you had used to lead with to introduce yourself, which was that you moved to Kansas so that you could, you and your husband could start an intentionally multi-ethnic church. Can you talk to me a little bit about that in regard to what stoked your passion for that and what that journey has been like? Yes. So I was raised in a majority um, African-American church in Texas, and my husband was as well. Um, but he always just kind of lived a multi-ethnic life. His, his best friend is white. He was the best man in our wedding. And quite frankly, that was my first introduction uh, to majority culture, honestly, because where I grew up, there just were not many whites, even with teachers, all 
all of my educators were black, maybe for five or six from K-12. So I met my husband at Texas A&M. He introduces me to his friend and his family. And it was really helpful for me to be able to see that all of majority culture is not against me, if you will. And so I think that that was probably the beginning of seeds being planted for multi-ethnic ministry. So when he graduated seminary and was looking to start pastoring, there was a church in Wichita, Kansas, that was wanting to have a pastor come here and start the church. Never in my life had I looked on a map from Dallas, Texas to say I would move to Wichita, but we came here here and fell in love with the church. And I think my husband's phrase to the church kind of threw them off, but he says, if you're moving me here to start an all-Black church, I'm not the guy for that job. Um, And the church kind of perked up and really listened, he says, but I do believe that the church can be a picture of how heaven will look because there will be people of all races and colors and ethnicity there. And if that's something that we can start here now, then I'm willing to do that. And so we moved here. um, We were planted by a majority white church, but they um, allowed us to have parishioners from their church, which uh, a lot of them were white. Um, But we planted the church near Wichita State University because when you do metrics and demographics, you see that that's the most uh, racially diverse part of Wichita. And um, so he began to just have conversations and talks and and really connect with people in the community um, to where now the church is about 55 to 60% white. And then the rest is other uh, black and Hispanics Mm -hmm. in that piece. So it really truly is from the beginning saying, how can I hire staff? How can I pick a location? How can I purchase a building? How can I, you know, format my website? Everything was so that you can appeal to different races. So on a Sunday morning, we'll have gospel music, but we'll also have Chris Tomlin. Uh, We sing some songs in Spanish sometimes. And so it really is trying to give everyone a piece of home, if you will, when they come to church um, and worship on Sundays. That is so, it's really amazing to hear from this angle. Um, You know, we all have our different lenses, right? And so you, coming from a predominantly um, single, you know, single, I don't want to say single story. I don't know the word I'm trying to come up with, majority culture. Yeah, monogenous. Thank you for that. Um, Different than, you know, most of, of course, my experience up here in the Northwestern part of Wisconsin is majority culture is all white. And it's just a different way of looking at it. I love this mission that the two of you are on and, and that your husband's on to make sure that there's a unity there. And some of the conversations that I've come to is just this idea about, uh, you know, white culture, not seeing that there's any other way to do church. (laughs) Um, So I love that you already gave some specific examples about, you know, Chris Tomlin and (laughs) gospel music and Spanish and and all of that, just that really beautiful multi-ethnic. I'm curious for my own curiosity, what does... um, what does the structure of a church look like then? So you you gave the music, but is there another way of approaching messages or, um, you know, it's multi-ethnic. What uh, denomination is it? I'm just, I'm so curious about this. <laughs> I love that you asked those questions. And those are really what we get a lot. So we are technically non-denominational, okay. um, but we are affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention and with the Evangelical Free Association. So those, of course, are very, you know, what we would probably say are extremely, you know, conservative in our views, if you will. Um, But for services on Sunday, uh, my husband is 
emphatically uh, just I will preach the gospel, what the Bible says. So there is, um, you know, sometimes if there's a sermon where I know we were in the minor prophets and there was a lot about justice then. So that's a perfect opportunity to talk about justice. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's even preaching the gospel, he says the only reason that Jesus came to die is because justice demanded some kind of uh, repayment for sin. And so I don't think that he shies away from justice conversations when they're there, but it's not that he comes intentionally wanting to preach a sermon one way or another. Uh, but there have been some services where um, we'll do, you know, as a church, we'll recite some things together, similar, you know, similar to what you might see in a Presbyterian or a Catholic church. So there are just, I think that he would say that there are just biblical pieces of what they did in Bible days that we kind of fold in. Um, the music, of course, is a variation of different um, ethnicities, but at its standard, you know, you open with prayer and song, you have preaching, you, you know, uh, give an offering. It could be really similar to most structures uh, nationally, except that uh, you've got a black preacher that's leading a majority uh, culture church rather than the reverse. Mm, that's so interesting. And I'm just so curious about what the experience is like <laughs> right now. This is definitely um, a time where it's great to be able to have um, a multi-ethnic church because you have so many people at the table that can talk about their views and their experiences. And we listen to each other in love because we've been to each other's homes for dinners and barbecues and and birthday parties, you know. Um, And so I think that it lends itself a lot to conversations where we are naturally accustomed to listening and learning from each other. We have church movie nights where we've watched the movie 13th or The Hate You Give. Um, and just and after that, kind of have like town hall, mm. we eat together and discuss that. And I think in some churches where it's homogeneous, you know, all black or all white, you don't necessarily have someone else that's, um, you know, leading the cause of saying, hey, we need to be talking about the other side and the other issues. And we can do that um, really purely in love without any other ulterior motives except to learn from each other. I'm just beaming over here hearing that. I think it's so good. <laughs> it's that true message of unity and, you know, taking out, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, when we talked about denomination and you said, you know, there's, we're non-denominational and you kind of listed who you're affiliated with, but that um, I think in mm-hmm. our country, so much of politics have gotten woven into religion, which makes it very challenging. Um, and what you mm-hmm. describe sounds like real talk. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's probably something that is hard mm-hmm. to do. It, it can really get in the way of being human together. <laughs> um, and yeah. so I just really value what you've shared. And I've shared often in, outside of this series. But one of the um, resources that I've been using for my own learning is Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just this, it's really a message and it's a movement and it's a um, mission to create re- racial reconciliation through God's eyes. Mm-hmm. And it just, that's the kind of thing that we want, you know, you want multiple conversations occurring, but I love how you put it back that it goes, you know, that justice piece was about sin and we know racism is sin Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter the color of our skin, you know, um, you know, racist ideals and actions can happen no matter what 
color of skin you are. Mm-hmm. And so um, it mm-hmm. just, it's really kind of beautiful to hear that. And I know that it's not coming without its complications, you oh, know, at the yeah. individual basis, yeah. but just what a beautiful message that you're sharing with us today. Yeah. No, I love that you said that. Ironically, if, if there were any uh, more pieces, our church is the bridge church. Um, so that be the oh. bridge component. <laughs> Is literally, is <laughs> literally what we've stood for. And it is bridging the loss to God through Christ and bridging our city together in love. That's the objective. Um, and we have to be able to be a picture of reconciliation. Um, and it, it really does start with us. Um, don't just talk about what you believe, but actually show what you believe. Um, and I think, you know, there's a scripture that says, and people will know that you are my disciples uh, by your love. And so if we show love, then that's the best marker to say if we really um, love God or not. So, Mm, and it's so good because let's not just say it, let's show it. And that sounds, I mean, what a, what a gift. I mean, and I don't think that you or your husband could be any better example of that moving, you know, moving, planting, living that it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think that having this example here on the podcast feels so perfectly timed and a time when we Mm -hmm. need to hear that, you know, what the work actually looks like. Not easy, mm-hmm. but what it looks like. No, and and also just that idea that um, is I think what's really hard right now is entering into the hard conversations without the established relationship that you had mentioned. You know, you're over at one another's houses, you're having dinner. This is like real connections with people that you love, and so you can enter into those more challenging conversations through the lens of love. And that you know, that's the only way we're gonna keep moving forward. Truly. That's what I believe. So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. I agree. So thank you so much for venturing down that path. I didn't expect that we'd spend so much time <laughs> unpacking it, but I'm so glad that we did. Um, and I, what I really want to be able to do because, it, you know, you're such an, a wonderful voice to, to speak to this topic. One of the things that we've talked about so far this month is, um, you know, gender related to leadership. And we've also talked about um, race related to leadership. And I would love if you would just be able to venture into your own experience when we talk about intersectionality is this idea of the challenges that marginalized populations face, but they're layered, right? So We know that women in leadership face certain challenges and barriers to get to leadership. We know that women of color face certain challenges and barriers. And now here you are with this lived experience with both of those. And I'm just curious if you would just take us the path a little bit from your lens about what that's looked like and maybe ways that you've overcome or just a way that you could open up our listeners' hearts to hear about what you've been able to do with the influence that you have with those identities. Wow, that's uh, really kind. Um, I do think that there, you know, I always, I hate to use the term, but it is kind of true that I'm a double minority in a lot of spaces because of being black and being a female. Um, I think of two experiences where I immediately knew that I stuck out. Um, I did a year of medical school. We do not have to talk about that, but I do. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I do remember being um, in this medical school class of 200 students and I was one of two black women. Um, We were both married moms. Um, even in my current district, and they are just a fantastic place to work, but I'm the only black administrator um, there. And so I think that sometimes what um, majority culture and people of, of uh, just power have to remember is that 
majority culture people don't necessarily always have the uh, most immediate experience of being the only person in the room that looks like them. Um, and so I have to be, I, I make a conscious effort to be mindful of what I say and how I act because it really does sometimes feel like I am the one example that will be present to say, this is how black people respond, or this is how a black woman can lead, or this is how a black woman can teach. Um, I remember moving to Wichita and I had eighth grade students and they were saying I was the first black teacher they had ever heard had. And it was amazing to me that these kids are, are you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. And I'm the first black teacher that they had. Um, and initially I would be annoyed, like, oh gosh, now I have to represent the community again. But the truth, of, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is I think that we all to an extent should live with a purpose of knowing that we are an example to someone and we might be the only version of that person that someone would ever see or will ever know. And I really at this point just say that if I'm the one black principal that my students at our high school ever have, or if I was the you know one black teacher that my only students have ever had, um, then at least for that moment, I have re represented to majority cultures how a minority um, can live in that realm. And it, I think, can help to debunk the myths of what we can sometimes see represented in media or, or news or certain TV shows. And that it's not an added pressure because that's the way I want to live anyway. I want to be kind anyway. I want to be gracious anyway. I want to be a light that doesn't distract and, you know, and, and, and spill out evil, but love anyway. And so it's okay for me to use my sphere to do that. Just that. That's so beautiful. And what a wise and um, thoughtful response from you. And you're being very fair <laughs> to your experience um, because I think it's so important when you said, um, you know, you, you live in the identity of two minorities and we could, you know, if we were mm -hmm. to peel ourselves apart, I love this topic. Honestly, it's one that listeners, if you haven't really delved into and you look at identity politics, right? Like as a mm -hmm. woman, I'm a, okay, I'm a woman, but I'm a mom. And for that I'm, and I'm happen to be white. So I'm of majority, most of the time, majority culture because of my white skin and the fact mm -hmm. that I'm married and have children. Mm -hmm. Right. These are whole mm -hmm, other identities mm -hmm. <laughs> that we all have. And so, you know, those listening are going to have different identity politics. And so I just really mm -hmm. appreciate that you talk about it because we know that, um, you know, the research is pretty strong in regard to um, how a black woman leader is treated and the experience in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have to look very far into research to find that. You know, we know there's a difference in pay. Um, there's a difference in representation. You know, there's a difference in, uh, and the reason for the representation could be because of barriers associated with stereotypes, stereotype bias, microaggressions, yeah. all of these things that I know are a part of your story. <laughs> I assume are a part of your story that you've been able to grace, gracefully walk through. And that's why you're at where you are. You know, um, but I know that like for me mm -hmm. and I know that listeners listening that have any similar experiences where they've been the only, you know, whether that's you're the only woman mm -hmm. at the board table, um, you know, where if you're the only person of color, if you're the only whatever, you know, that you're what the way you put it is people in majority culture don't experience that often, but that's a part of your daily experience. And I don't think we yeah. should underestimate the power that that could have negatively on somebody, but that you have just mm -hmm. literally turned it on its head. Um, 
And I just mm-hmm. think that's really beautiful, wow. Connie. It's exceptional. Wow. That that will actually bring me to tears um, because it was work, to be honest yeah. with you. Uh, I I didn't start off this way. Let's be honest. Connie in her 20s, um, if anyone that knows me from the past <laughs> and listens to this is like, wow, who is that talking? Because I was, <laughs> I would have been very entitled and very expecting things to look this way or that way. Um, and I think I've just, at this point, um, my husband is really helpful for this. Um, so is, you know, just our faith in general um, to help me think about, well, who can I be today that contributes something differently, that provides a different story? Yes, there are things that uh, can absolutely uh, spark a reaction, but how can I respond instead? Um, you know, I think of my grandmother saying, you catch more bees uh, with honey, you know, than you do with, with vinegar. And so it really is thinking about what is my approach to how I, you know, re- communicate this or say this so that I can, you know, be passionate and absolutely say when things are wrong, because truth is truth. And I believe that, but there are ways that you can share truth. Um, and it does not always have to be through, you know, what the 20 year old Connie would have done or would have said. So well, for the record, I kind of want to meet 20 year old Connie just because I think she'd be full of spice that I would just love. Yes. I think 20 year old Sarah and 20 year old Connie would get along pretty well. Um, <laughs> but you know, that's so it's, it's beautiful. It's like softening the edges as we get older and it's, um, you know, and I don't even know that it has to do with age so much, but I think about the challenges that you are overcoming in your life now and mm. that you've overcome and seen is just a wisdom that we can gain with, um, the temperance that comes from life. And I love how, when you talk about, you know, that you, who, you, who can you be today? And I think I'm certain that that comes from your faith. Um, oh Yeah. You know, because even in this whole thing, you know, you've got this really beautiful resonant voice that's just ringing in my ears. And I'll tell you what, it's going to sit there all day long. And for several days, I'm going to be thinking about this conversation and what it means for me that I needed to hear from you because we are, I think in this time, we're all faced with challenges that are unique to us, but that can be also universal because of, you know, the pandemic (laughs) we're all experiencing. And yet I don't bring to the table layers, you know, it's not supposed to be comparative grief, but just hearing you is inspiring me um, to be thinking about who can I be in my home again? You know, I just, I think we need to recenter ourselves like that all the time. Um, And if we get too far into our lives and we're forgetting that as people of faith, and who we're supposed to be bringing that light forward, then we've kind of lost our way. And it doesn't matter if we're an assistant principal in a school, high school principal, you know, if, if whatever title we serve, we have to be that as, you know, mom, daughter, um, wife, whatever, sister, all of these right. things. And so I just want to thank you for that. And I think it was an opportunity to, for me to hear that from you right when I needed it. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's so humbling. So humbling. Thank you for that. Well, I know my listeners heard it too. So I don't feel like I have to point that out. Connie, you are just super inspiring. And I have just enjoyed every single minute of our conversation. And I know that you're going to give us some really beautiful um, wisdom here to chew on with the two standard questions. So are you ready for those? Of course. (laughs) Okay. 
So the first one is, if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? (laughs) Now, this might be odd considering my conversation of how much I adore my husband, but I'm going to say stay away from boys (laughs) is what I would (laughs) say. I think that what happened with me is that I met my husband and it was great and we have grown grown together. But because I got married so young, I was finding myself while learning about him. And we absolutely could have grown apart during that education of us, if you will. Uh, We've been fortunate to grow together and learn together. Um, But I think that if you can take time to really learn about yourself and not to be distracted, I say stay away from boys, but it's any kind of distraction that would keep you from having a strong sense of self. That's what I would tell my younger self. That's really... It's really interesting, like you said, advice, because you are a model of a person who's obviously grown through challenges individually, but knowing that you're so young, you know, may I ask how old you were when you married? You can. Um, I was 19 years old when I got married. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. So too young to be anyone's wife, I would say that's uh, for me. But, you know, people do it well, I'm sure. And we have definitely had a great marriage and we are strong, but it did not come without its challenges. And what a gift for that transparency too. Uh, just another perfect representation and then just a whole other world of an example of where your voice is shining. Um, you know, I actually met my husband when I was 19. We married when I was 22, but you know, he's been the only since I was 19. So very, you know, similar in that way. And I would echo that. It's like, you're going through this whole process of uncovering and discovering and learning yourself while getting someone else's mess together too. <laughs> right, right, totally. <laughs> and we know as a man, he had more mess than you did. But, you know, I'm just kidding, but totally. <laughs> I mean, like physically, I'm way more messy than he is, but yeah. <laughs> How funny. <laughs> it is funny. So, okay. Uh, well, thank you for that and a little bit of levity too. How about this one? If you, if we have listeners that are finding themselves in a pit of fear or doubt and they need to hear Connie's beautiful voice to kind of help them rise up out of it, what do you think you could say to them? Mm, I definitely um, would say that it is about faith. Um, and, you know, I use faith in the broad sense. Um, of course, specifically, I am a person of faith um, that believes in God and in his son, Christ. But I'd say faith in the broader sense of belief that things can be accomplished and achieved. I don't think that you can get diagnosed with cancer and have like a week of chemo and two weeks off and back at it again um, without having some idea that I'm going to beat this. I'm going to live. This will not, you know, take me under. I mean, that's kind of the way you have to approach most battles. Um, I really believe that believing is truly um, the majority of the battle. And honestly, I don't consider myself any more extraordinary or influential or special than anyone else. I just think that uh, I do know who is in control and I have a source that I can go to when I'm feeling weak. And that gives me a renewed strength, a renewed belief that helps me to tackle challenges because I'm not fighting alone. It really is someone who is all powerful that's going to win the battle um, that I really couldn't do on my own. That's really beautiful. And I, you know, you're such a humble uh, person, which I really value and appreciate that that is a value of yours, but you need to know that even in just a short amount of time, you have very much influenced me. And so, you know, God has a big purpose for your life. It's, it's big with a capital P and I can see that. And, you know, whether we know that that's influenced on the daily with the people we interact with every day, or whether that's the opportunity for you to impact people in a way today that you'll never, ever hear about, you know, they'll hear this message when it's launched or they'll hear it years from now and your words will speak to them. And that is really, really beautiful, Connie. 
Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for the opportunity. That really, uh, that means a lot, really, truly. Well, you've been a gift to me and I'm so grateful that we had this opportunity to chat and that you allowed me to share your voice on this podcast. And I know that there are going to be listeners who are going to want to reach out to you. So what would be the best way for my listeners to get a hold of you if they wanted to interact with you after this interview? Oh, totally. I am on Twitter. I am at AP Conrad. And um, I'm also on Facebook. My name is Connie Chambliss Reddick on Facebook. I have an Instagram account, CL Reddick, but let's be honest, I can really only probably get to two platforms, not really three very well. So (laughs) (laughs) that's just a wise person knowing their limits, right? (laughs) This is true. That's awesome. Well, I will be sure as always to link those in the show notes, uh, listeners, so that you can get a hold of Connie quickly. And I am just so, so grateful that you took the time to have this conversation and to share your wisdom. And I just wish you the best on your journey through this crazy cycle, non-cycle of school years and in your recovery. And we are just cheering you on here with the in community. Connie, thank you so much. Oh, Sarah, it's been my pleasure talking with you. Thank you for having me. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.